are listening to a podcast from The National. South Africa is, to many outside the country, in meltdown with the President Jacob Zuma seemingly determined to resist the inevitable after the ruling African National Congress vowed to force him from office. Cape Town, meanwhile, is approaching day zero, when the water will run out. The first time in modern history a major city has suffered such a fate. But how has this situation come to pass? And, assuming Mr Zuma is ousted without more trouble, what does the future hold for the country? And how can the new leader, Cyril Ramaphosa, begin to tackle its problems? This is the National Business Extra podcast. My name's Chris Nelson, and today I'm joined on the line from Cape Town by Gavin Duvenage, a seasoned writer on South Africa and regular contributor to The National, and in the studio by The National's leader writer, Charlie Mitchell. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Gavin, uh, from Cape Town. Um, perhaps you can uh, just give us a, a quick um, uh, bird's eye view of what is the situation with the drought at the moment? How is it uh, affecting everyday life? Yes, hi. Um, well, it, it's definitely been the main talking point in Cape Town for some months now. Um, people are used to living with a shortage of services. Uh, electricity, for example, we had rolling blackouts and a few years ago. Yeah. But, you know, water is something on an entirely different level. You need it for some for basic um, sort of human need. Yeah. You know, you can't really get, you can get by without electricity, but water itself is, is, is uh, you know, it's much more difficult. So there's been a lot of concern about it. Um, the city has taken contingencies uh, working on setting up alternative water points that people can collect uh, a ration of 25 liters a day. Yeah, that's but, not much, uh, that, is that it? Would, uh, no, no, it isn't. Not to mention the, the inconvenience of having to stand in a queue uh, yeah. for a good part of the day just to get, get some, some basic water. I know. Are, 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 are people, um, um, you know, becoming fractious about it? Is there, is there, is there trouble um, flaring up? Yeah, there have been uh, sort of reports of um, scuffles at some of the earlier, some of the water points that have already been established. There have been uh, places where you can go and collect um, pure spring water and just sort of in preparation of day zero. Mm-hmm. And you know, some people would arrive with like, several containers instead of just one, and there would be sort of unhappiness about it and pushing and shoving. Um, there have also been reports of people mass buying water in supermarkets. Mm-hmm. You know, walking into sh- taking out entire shelves with, with the bottles, and um, mm-hmm. that has also caused some unha- unhappiness and mm-hmm. some mutterings on social media. Yeah. But I think, by and large, people have kind of, you know, just sort of prepared, uh, prepared themselves mentally, and you know, tried to save water and essentially taken it in good spirit overall. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, uh, from an industrial point of view, um, I mean, well, if we do reach uh, day zero. Um, uh, presumably, then, uh, not only is it a problem for for, for ordinary people, but um, how, how does industry deal with that? I mean, you know, you've, uh, industry uses vast amounts of water. I mean, uh, agriculture too, of course. How, how are the contingency plans? Have the government put in contingency plans for this, or have the have the the manufacturers um, planned for this? Uh, the government has probably been the, the, the least sort of forthcoming uh, on, on how it plans to deal with it. But they've made some noises that they would assist, and there have been some funds made available. Um, By the government? The city has been far more active since the day the primary um, provider of water, even though they, the government supplies the, the water itself. They, they, it's the city that delivers it. Uh-huh. Um, so it, as for industry and businesses, um, all, I suppose it depends on which one you're talking about. You know, restaurants are being advised to... Uh, get around to the idea of using paper plates instead of using uh, proper crockery and dishes that need to be washed so yeah. they can just dispose of it. Uh, some hotels are working on plans to buy grey water, which is to say agriculture quality water that 
um, isn't clean, but it, it's, it's fit for use for animals and uh-huh. watering. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the idea that these hotels will buy this water and uh, purify it themselves and make it available to guests. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I think people are sort of on, on a case-by-case basis are, are sort of trying to figure out, well, what does my business need, need and how am I going to uh, live with it? with uh, the consequences of no water. Yeah, yeah. And turning to you, Charlie, um, from the point of view of, of uh, the effects on, on, shall we call it, brand Cape Town, um, you know, the rest of the world is, is looking at this and thinking, how on earth in the 21st century does a modern city of, of, of that kind of developed nature run out of water? How, how do you think that uh, that's going to affect, um, you know, the, the image of Cape Town globally? Sure, it's a serious concern. I mean, I mean the, uh, the very interesting thing to note is that Cape Town has actually made big strides in the past in terms of water management, right? It's not, it, it's not uh, been failing in that respect. It's actually won a number of water awards mm-hmm. uh, and made lots of efficiency savings and uh, made steps to reduce the, the amount of water that it used. So this is um, really quite shocking. Uh, in terms of the tourist angle it's obviously tourism is a is a mainstay of the local economy i think it had 10 million tourists last year cape town if you if you take for example airbnb um cape town but is by far the, the most active uh, city in africa in terms of airbnb listings mm-hmm. um you know 10,000 at least more listings than the the second place which is marrakesh yeah uh, which and so much so that they've actually seen a proliferation of like region of of um the airbnb management uh, companies which which help residents to monetize their uh, their apartments which shows you how mature the tourist market is mm-hmm. so i think it's going it, it, you know it will be a serious problem uh, in that respect um into for, for for tourists looking to go there of course that i mean i'm sure there will be a decrease it it whether it's because people feel that that it's not a good idea to go and put extra burden on a on a on a difficult water situation yeah, yeah. or because they just don't want to deal with the difficulties of of reduced water provision in hotels and that kind of thing is another matter yeah um but um i i mean i'm sure in, it will bounce back once yeah. once this crisis is sorted the other interesting thing is that um i mean clearly cape town's residents are pretty resilient because we've seen um the as you say the date of day zero pushed back to June, largely because people have been um, reducing their consumption Mm -hmm. sufficiently to 50 litres a day. When you consider that 80 litres is one bath, it's really quite impressive uh, from from the residents of that city. And that's for everything, 50 50 litres for for cooking, for washing, for cleaning, for everything, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's uh, that's quite uh, quite impressive, as you say. Um, So, Gavin, does does obviously given the the um, volatile situation uh, regarding the leadership of the country is has anybody kind of stood up um, and and you know made made the issue uh, uh, their own as it were with, and and been proactive with putting in um, uh, plans or systems that that might uh, mitigate the the possibility of of day zero. Well, well I, I, the city at the moment. It's really probably on point for the police. You know, they 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 are setting up water points. They are constantly reminding residents to cut back on their consumption. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, actual actual leadership. The mayor's office has kind of blundered from or stumbled from looking like they might know what they're doing to be seeming to be rather incompetent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deputy mayor gave a news conference which went viral where he basically said told the reporter he didn't want to talk about it because he didn't actually know what they were going to do. Right. And this was um, a few weeks ago. So 
So it, it has been kind of a, a sort of a crisis management and a lot, a lot of finger pointing and blaming of uh, mm. trying to sort of find who, where, where responsibility lies. Uh, but I think you know the South Africans generally are resilient and are, are kind of used to having to get on with things on, on our own. Yeah. So I think what, what's happening is a, at an individual level, people are planning definitely uh, for it rather than waiting for anyone to, in particular to step up and kind of save the day. Yeah. I mean, talking about the the blame game, um, is is it has this crisis arisen because of? Uh, um, Poor, poor management by the utility companies. Is it is it underinvestment by the government on necessary infrastructure? Is it is it poor uh, planning for an expanding population? Um, you know, is is this a, is this industry's fault or is this the state's fault? Um, well, it's, it's kind of all of the above. Uh, predictions of, of of a day zero go back 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone knew Cape Town was going to reach this point sooner or later. And we got there a little bit sooner simply because we've had a really bad uh, rainy season, or three, in fact, it's been three, three consecutive seasons of really poor poor rain. So yeah. um, as for infrastructure, you know, there has been no um, real work on building new dams since the 1960s, I think. Right. You know, and meanwhile, the, the, the city itself has grown in leaps and bounds. It's almost four million people now, and there's been no real provision uh, to meet the, the expanding population. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's um, yeah. overall it's it, it is effectively a, a, a lack of investment in in the necessary infrastructure. Um, Charlie. Um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, if if um, it can happen in Cape Town, then one assumes that in other countries where there are extremely arid conditions, such as in the Middle East. Um, there could be lessons that, that may be learned by cities uh, in these areas um, about how such a problem can arise. Do you think? Do you think? Um, how do you think? Particularly in the, in the GCC in the Middle East, how how well prepared do you think most uh, most of the cities are? I mean, yeah, c- certainly the problem is not even solely in uh, arid cities. I mean, uh, Melbourne is going to run out of water in the next decade. In, in uh, Sao Paulo and Mexico City in South America, they already mm-hmm. reduce, uh, take steps to limit water consumption in households. Um, of course, um, it's a, it's an issue that all cities can can take some sort of message from. Um, as I said before, the the, the scale, the uh, the speed at which this has happened in Cape Town is really quite astonishing. Um, so, of course, steps need to be taken to uh, you know the desalination plants, for example, are a big thing in the in the GCC in the UAE particularly. Um, so, so investment needs to be made beforehand, and then and there need to be contingency plans when when uh, and if these issues occur. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gavin's mentioned the. Um, the water distribution points in Cape Town. The last thing, the last time I heard, they were they were going to set up to uh, twenty thousand, I think, or mm-hmm. two, or even two thousand, mm-hmm. which means that they just need to supply an enormous quantity, an enormous quantity of water. And where, where's this water p- coming from? It's not coming from the dams. There's none in it. So. No, this this will be um, emergency water flown in, I suspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've also, you know, they're also building desalination plants in Cape Town, and they're building. Uh, they're doing fresh water wells, but most of them are behind schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said before, the, the another issue is that it's there is a, um, a sort of governance vacuum in the sense that the ANC obviously lost Cape Town in the uh, local elections. It's mm-hmm. run by the Democrat uh, by the DA, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so um, it, no one's really been, you know, stepped up to take action to, to sort this out before it happened, as Gavin yeah. was saying before. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, I mean, one step that's been taken recently is that they've declared it a national emergency, which means it's now officially in the hands of the gov of the central government. Yeah. Um, but anyway, of course, of course, steps can be taken to to um, prepare for these kind of events. But at the end of the day, with climate change uh, on the rise and obviously populations growing all over the world, it's going to continue to happen mm -hmm, in other mm -hmm. places and all cities, I think, global cities should take note yeah. of what's happening here. I think it's a good point uh, you make about particularly in the UAE with uh, you know, desalination and uh, um, good investment in provision of water for an expanding um, population. Um, one would think that uh, it's... You know, the idea that, that uh, Abu Dhabi, for instance, could run dry is, is, is almost unimaginable um, unless there's some massive global catastrophe. Um, but, Gavin, um, given that we've arrived at this, at this state, it, is, it, is it not sort of a perfect example of, of um, what many regard as the appalling uh, economic um, legacy that has been left by President Zuma or will be left by President Zuma, assuming he does eventually get winkled out? Um, well, yes, certainly. Uh, I guess at the moment it is a temptation to blame him for pretty much everything, but there's no doubt that the perception is that uh, there's nobody at the wheel. That the country is essentially uh, not being guided, or whether through policy or just you know plain leadership on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Zuma's activities have very much been uh, concerned with its own survival for quite some time now, and you know it's. It, it's dominated the headlines here. It's dominated the dinner time talk. There's been little sort of action or concrete sort of direction from from his office. Um, whereas you know you'd be expecting someone in his position to at least be keeping on top of these various ministers, making sure that they are following the, or managing their portfolios, including water and sanitation, which would be one of them. Um, but there's not been no sign of anything like that happening at all. Right. You know, it's right. really just been political drama, really. And and given given uh, I mean, you know the accusations of of, uh, of graft and corruption surrounding um, uh, Zuma and indeed the, his family, um, specifically recently relating to the the, um, the Gupta family. Um, do you, do you, do you or, or is it perceived that that corruption is? is spread throughout things such as the utility sector. I mean, obviously, the, the electricity provider, ESCOM, has, has long uh, cast um, you know, shouds, uh, clouds of suspicion. Um, do you think, with the, remo with the removal of Zuma, that that, that will also remove um, what is apparently endemic corruption um, through, through those kind of, uh, through the major, big major companies and through the government? Do, do, you, th do you foresee that happening, or, or is it so in ingrained that that's unlikely to happen no matter who's running it? Well, it, 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 it certainly is a hope that it will change and that it will at least change uh, uh, so the attitude of a lot of senior public officials that, you know, they can simply get away with it. Uh, at the moment, I'm looking on, on TV screen and social media now, uh, all these images of the Hawks, the, the crime-fighting unit, the premier crime-fighting unit here, raiding yeah. the Gupta's premises. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, this is not something that was planned overnight. This has obviously been on the cards for a very, very long time, but they haven't really had the, 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 the um, final from management to be able to go ahead and, ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're doing it now shows that these, these um, institutions are being allowed to, to function again. So, yeah. so that will, I believe, actually send ripples right through the system. You know, if, if, if officials sitting in some 
in far north of the country, looking at a, writing a check for a dam or something, yeah. they are going to consider that there may well be consequences down the line if the accounting isn't uh, 100% above board. Yeah, yeah. And do you think um, uh, it, it, a change will, will boost uh, foreign direct investment? I mean, presumably... Uh, investors are somewhat wary with with um, everything that's co- that has been going on under Zuma. Um, do, do you think uh, it will become a more attractive uh, venue for uh, for foreign investors um, once he's out of the way? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, uh, a mining investment conference, and the South African Chamber of Mines said they are sitting on proposals for about $20 billion in direct investment that is really just ready to go any time. Yeah. They just need policy certainty, which um, was certainly not forthcoming under uh, the Zuma regime. Yeah. So, you know, one, one, you know, what investors want is not, not necessarily no risk. They just want to know what the risks are. And at the moment, it's very hard to determine what the risk profile of the country is when you know, the, the policy framework is, is really just a shifting target the entire time. So I think with, with Mr. Ramaphosa, at least we'll get some certainty. You know, there, there's still things that he has to work through, which might not be very popular with um, investors, or uh, such, you know, such, such as the, the sort of talk about nationalising land, yeah. uh, taking land without compensation. But you know, once you understand the risk, you can then go ahead and make a decision. Yeah, yeah. And Charlie, um, given that uh, we're, we're at this um, pivot point, this this um, change. Um, what do you think will be? What are the the the, the main um, economic um, issues that the new leader is going to have to tackle first and foremost? Um, well, I would say that coming back to what we were talking about before, I would say that um, making a few uh, appointments, in, you know, in, in you know, at certain institutions, the tax authority, for example, ESCOM, you mentioned the the board has been completely replaced, um, weeding out some of the some of the people there who had ties to the Guptas. Um, corruption is is clearly the, the the key issue to tackle immediately. Um, the problem is that it's not just a, a Zuma issue. Uh, Zuma is, of course, a man, but he's also in some ways become a system over the last 10 years. There are a lot of people who's political fates are tied to his. Yeah. Um, you can see, for example, in the fact that Ramaphosa only won the ANC election by less than 200 votes to yeah. Zuma's ex-wife. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this, there's lots of, obviously, the, as we said, the South Africans are quite sanguine, really, but the Gupta um, fiasco really caused a lot of outrage. Um, at this, we- there was this wedding in 2013, mm-hmm. um, which was at, which was the niece of the Guptas, yeah. who married her Indian husband in South Africa, and uh-huh. uh, they were flown. The, the wedding guests were flown, as well as 130 private chefs with their own assistants and everything. The, the uh-huh. wedding guests were flown to a military base near Pretoria, right. um, and met by Atul Gupta on the runway um, <laughs> with uh, no customs checks, and then taken by great. police escort to their to their wedding venue, right. Yeah. So and at that wedding, there were at least four cabinet ministers, which shows you that it's not simply a, a Gupta problem, yeah. a, a Zuma problem. Yeah. So I think um, tackling graft and being seen to do so will be the the, the main issue that Ramfosa deals with, first of all. But of course, there's enormous inequality still, um, and lots of people who uh, will have a lot of hope in him that that something. Uh, that some powerful sort of change can be brought about. Um, I personally hope they're not left disappointed. Uh, The interesting thing about Ramaphosa is that he is able to straddle both worlds in a way. He, of course, was big in the liberation struggle. He was in 
solitary confinement as a student for for his part in that he was Mandela's uh, you know um, preference for the leadership um, and um, then went into the the miners union and everything but at the same time he then went on to become enormously wealthy um, and a fantastically successful businessman which goes to show that he can he can present himself both as um, you know the the leader of the poor South African who is ailing for uh, better services more jobs and there's yeah. an enormous unemployment but at the same time he can say that he is pro big business yeah which yeah. will be important yeah important both to South Africans and of course to the to, to the watching world uh, of investors um Gavin another one of uh, um, shall we say um, another zoomer surprise uh, was was when in December he out of the blue apparently uh, decreed that um, education should be free for for poor and and, and working class um, now that was that was a bit of a surprise, uh, given that um, it, it uh, has been since estimated that that's going to cost the government in excess of forty billion rand. Um, assuming that that it would be difficult, one presumes, for for the new leader to to um, renege on that. But but also, how on earth is the government going to pay for it? Well, I, I guess the short answer would be taxes. Uh, once, if and when the budget is read. Uh, we are probably going to see a hike in that, um, a hike in the so-called sin taxes, you know, the taxes on alcohol, cigarettes, etc. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, probably the general rise in personal personal taxes. I mean, I can't see that it's it's going to be avoided. You know, the, 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 there are so many leaps to plug, and just adding uh, free education to to the list of things that the government needs to fund is just going to you know, require so much more money, which the government is not getting in at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And and obviously the risk there then is is that um, by raising taxes you um, you you get the backs up of of the voting public. Um, he presumably has to be extremely careful that it, it's not the poorest who who bear the the brunt of something designed to help the poor. Um, how do you think the 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 middle class and and the elite in in South Africa would would react to a significant hike of taxes? Um, not well. Uh, you know, they, I think the, the, the South African Revenue Service is already struggling to, to maintain a sort of a cultural compliance, which they, they built up over many years. Yeah. You know, it, 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 you know the, the area of legitimacy, where do my taxes go? I think that this is what they're going to have to begin to rework on very, very quickly with, with, with when Mr. Ramaphosa comes in. You know, say, yeah, well, your, your taxes are actually going to go you know, to roads, to services, to hospitals, yeah. to schools. You know, they're not being flown off, you know, somewhere else in the world. So I think this is going to be a real hurdle for simply getting people to comply with tax. Oh, um, otherwise, I think another issue they will have would be with, with the poor, in fact, because if that is raised, it's going to hit um, everybody. And the poor generally spend a disproportionate amount of their income on food and uh, accommodation yeah. are, are going to feed it very badly. So that will be quite a difficult one for um, Mr. Ramaphosa to manage, particularly going to the election next year, yeah. where they have the radical leftists you know, starting to eat away their support in yeah. uh, the urban areas. Yeah, and Charlie, with, when the, the new leadership uh, comes in um, comes into place, where do you think the uh, let's say specific infrastructure areas are that need to be immediately dealt with in order to? Um, to uh, avoid things like obviously the, the water shortage, but what 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 do you think are the most pressing problems from an infra- government uh, investment in infrastructure point of view at the moment? Um, 
Well, certainly, certainly, as you say, the uh, sorting out the, the water problem, uh, it will be the, 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 the first main priority. Um, I mean, obviously, it, I mean, the, the, it's not all bad, right? I mean, Johannesburg has excellent infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, South Africa has the most modern infrastructure in Africa. It has excellent transport infrastructure. Um, the, the, of course, there there is a need uh, to to update um, so, so the provision of services and utilities, particularly in the townships. Um, I, I mentioned the the inequality before for mm-hmm. for a lot of people in in uh, the townships which surround big African city, uh, big South African cities. Um, resource scarcity is just a fact of daily life. Um, those people have been collecting water from a shared tap for a long time. Um, we saw in 2008 there was a flare-up of violence um, against, um, well, it was sort of xenophobic violence, mm-hmm. which which came si- simply because people didn't have, as far as I'm concerned, didn't have the, the, the utilities and the resources and electricity, water that they needed. Um, and the response was anger, which happened to be directed at uh, at immigrants. Um, and then there have been sporadic uh, up flare, flare-ups of violence ever since, in, you know, of a similar variety. So I think um, giving sort of vital infrastructure to the uh, to the residents of townships is uh, is a very imp- important first step, um, and will there will be a lot of onus on on um, Ramaphosa to do so mm-hmm. given his. Uh, Given his place in the in the ANC yeah. uh, history um, and and his his hopes, I suppose to try and capture some of the optimism which the ANC created yeah. all, that, yeah. all that time th- ago. It's uh, moving moving um, just sort of touching back again on on the Guptas, as you said, Gavin. Um, uh, they've been there's reports of them having been raided and, and one of them uh, been been arrested in in Johannesburg. Um, that combined with um, the water uh, situation, the the um, the uh, you know from an outsider's point of view, the ludicrous situation at the at the at the top of government. Um, one would assume that everything in in South Africa must be bad, and 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 yet the the rand is is gaining strength um, apparently um, out of the blue. What's driving the the, gro- the the strength of the rand? Um, I mean, it's about I think today it's around about twelve rand to a dollar. So, so what is it? Despite all these apparent major problems, what is what is driving the strength of the rand? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the, the Ramaphosa factor. You know, the fact that there might well be change coming, and mm. I think the markets generally like what they see. That they like him, and I guess ultimately the fact that South Africa's institutions seem to be holding up. You know, the Reserve Bank has managed to resist getting hijacked by uh, sort of non-state actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, law and order is now moving on, uh, people like the Guptas. So the fact that these institutions are functioning, and even the ANC's conference in December, if it was a very orderly uh, process. You know, the, the votes were taken. Though it was done in a transparent manner. There was no real dispute about the out- outcome. There were some minor niggles, but generally it was widely accepted to be free and fair, and the organization itself as per its own constitution and, char- uh, and charter, said, well, okay, Ramaphosa is now our leader. We are going to go m- m- move forward with him as our leader. The sort of factionalism that has been riv- uh, you know, causing a lot of the trouble within the yeah. party has now been sort of bat- battened down. It's, the party is now coming together. People are saying whether they agree or not with, with um, having Mr. Ramaphosa as leader, you know, th- this is the party decision and we're going to go forward as such. And I think it's, 
it, it sends quite a good signal. It shows that you know there is an amount of uh, a, a system in place that is actually working. You know, and that makes uh, the country, I think, a lot more stable yeah. than it was before. Yeah. Um, and uh, Charlie, um, obviously, relations between uh, the UAE and Africa in general have been growing um, significantly over the past few years. There's a lot of investment from here uh, over there. Um, do you think uh, this country will will ramp up efforts once Mr. Ramaphosa is in, and uh, and seen to be doing um, what is necessary to to um, re- to, to gain a, a, an economic recovery? How do you think the UAE will will respond to that? Do you think they'll uh, they'll they'll push up investments and 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 try to strengthen the relationships with South Africa? Yeah, I would hope so. Um, we just had the the visit of Modi, the Indian Prime Minister. There was a lot of talk about um, about the UAE and India doing you know so looking at sort of joint economic opportunities in Africa, uh, which I think is very important. I think the the point you make is a good one, which is that this. This uh, crisis in, in, in the ANC and in, in South African politics is going to have very big implications for the continent. Um, it, it has at various points uh, become the spokesperson for the continent. Obviously, South Africa is the only uh, African country on the G20. Yeah. Um, it's still the, I think, at this point, the, the, the second largest economy after Nigeria. Uh, but there, the continent is desperate for like a leading voice. Um, Nigeria has its own problems, you know, with the fight against Boko Haram, various um, very odd foreign exchange policies uh, which have been in put in place over the last couple of years. The the, the president constantly flying out for medical treatment. Yeah. So um, South Africa needs to be a, a leading light in in terms of and you know in in terms of attracting investment to Africa. Um, and I think if it could, if it can do so, the the UAE will be be more interested in looking at opportunities. The worry is that if the, this crisis in the ANC continues to get worse and worse, that there will be a, you know, there will be some sort of cynicism uh, globally in, in this region and elsewhere about investment opportunities in Africa. And I yeah. think that would be a great shame. Uh, South Africa has a young population. I think two thirds of the population is under 35. It's yeah. what a lot of investors look for mm-hmm. when they try and when they approach Africa. It's pretty much the case across the continent. Um, so South Africa is an excellent, uh, you know, base or starting point for for investment mm-hmm. on the continent, and I think the the UAE certainly will be looking at that mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. And Gavin, finally, um, the situation over there at the moment is, as we said, uh, you know, numerous occasions is extremely volatile. Um, do you do you personally feel that uh, in the in the in the immediate future that it is going to work out fine, or do you do you have uh, a feeling that there's there's more trouble to come before uh, Mr. Ramaphosa is in a position to to make some of the big changes the country needs economically? Well, um, personally, I'm feeling fairly confident. I have to say, and the, the mood generally seems to be quite sort of buoyant. You know, people are looking to change. And you know, the speed and sort of really the the, the um, peacefulness that which, which is happening is also encouraging. You know, there, there's been no talk about troops on the street or anything you know, as happened in Zimbabwe. There's been very little sign of violence or you know that, that this might sort of spill over into the streets. Yeah. You know, it's all happening in a fairly orderly fashion, even though it's kind of messy at a political level. You know, we're watching this on our television screens. We're not sort of seeing tanks rolling down you know, past our houses. So I think all in all, people are generally sort of reasonably hopeful. There's a fairly sort of um, 
moderate expectation of what, what Ramaphosa can do, uh, particularly in the, in, in the initial months that he takes over. Yeah. You know, no one's expecting it to, to turn around very quickly that, that you know, there's going to work a miracle. I think you know, we've been through this with our fourth president. So, you know, we, I think our democracy is starting to mature and starting to see that there are limits to what politicians can and will do. And, yeah. you know, our expectations as such need to be tempered in, in that regard. Many thanks to Gavin Duvenage and Charlie Mitchell for their take on the situation. It is indeed a crucial time for South Africa and the next days and weeks may well decide its fate. My name's Chris Nelson and that was the National Business Extra podcast. You can find us at www.thenational.ae and on Apple Podcasts.